Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. It's so appropriate that we're in John 15 this morning. If you have a Bible, open up to John 15, and if you need one, raise your hand. But it's so appropriate because this passage is about abiding in Christ, and, and abiding in Christ is, is literally the, 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 the idea of living in Him in every circumstance in our lives. It doesn't matter what you're going through. We don't just abide in Christ when things are good. We abide in Christ in every circumstance, in every situation. And, you know, the Lord just continues to echo those words through my mind this last week, just abide in me, just live in me, remain in me, just continue to, you know, just stay steadfast in me. It's been so good. But um, this, this is a parable. And uh, just by way of introduction, when, when you, a parable is an, a heavenly truth that is, Jesus is using an earthly illustration to bring about a heavenly truth. And it's, it's something that you, uh, you cast aside an illustration of a, of a principle. And what he's trying to get us to understand is the, the absolute importance of us remaining in Christ if we want to be fruitful in our Christian walk. And it, it, is, it is so vital. It is such a beautiful, beautiful painting. It portrays um, a perfect union and communion with Christ as you consider the illustration of a vine and a branch. You know, and the fact of the matter is that the branch can do nothing. It can't bear fruit. It can't muster any, any leaves on its, on its branch. It can't do anything if the vine doesn't provide it. And that's the idea here is what Jesus is saying is that you have to be so desperate for me. You have to, you have to be living so, you know, in sync with me if you want anything good to come out of your life. You can't, you can't make anything happen. He, he goes to the point of even saying, you can do nothing without abiding in me. Nothing. That word in the Greek means zero, nada. Nothing. Nothing at all. And, and so it, it's such an incredible picture. But with a parable, the thing that you have to understand is that not every single detail actually, um, you know, matters to the story. I mean, it's a, it's a picture. It's an idea, but it, but it breaks down eventually if you try and it's like a flower. A parable is like a flower, and if you pick apart all the petals and you dissect the flower, it loses its beauty. The same idea with the parable. If you try and take the parable and break it down to, to explain every detail of it, then you lose the entire meaning of the parable. And so there is one meaning, there is one particular truth that Jesus is trying to portray to his disciples who, by the way, just got the most devastating news of their lives at this juncture in, in, in on the Passover evening of when Jesus is going to be crucified the very next uh, day. He's going, to be, he's going to be arrested in just a few hours after he says these words. But he tells his disciples, one of you will betray me just hours before he says this. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And by the way, I'm going to depart from you. I mean, I mean there's a threefold just like blow to the disciples. They're like, whoa. What's going on? Their world is being rocked right now. And then Jesus comes in with John 15, and he says, don't forget to abide in me. Don't forget that because it, it is crucial for you to understand it. That is the point of what he's saying here. And if we make it about fruit bearing or, or anything else, then we really lose the entire meaning of behind it. You have to keep Scripture in context, and you can't isolate a particular Scripture from the chapter. You can't isolate the chapter from the book, you can't isolate the book from the entire uh, 66 books of the Bible. They all say the same thing. And so if you come up with something different, which 
will happen in this passage if you're not careful, uh, you will be out of context. So it's crucial that we stay in the lane of what Jesus is saying here. And uh, so stand with me if you would, please. Uh, We're going to read John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 here, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that, and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And it's so good to us, Lord. It is so on time. It speaks so intimately into our circumstances, into our situations in life. And um, we just thank you for this passage this morning, Lord, and how you're going to use it in our lives. The depth of the teaching of Jesus here is just matchless, Lord. There is no wisdom beyond these words here. I mean, this is so deep, and Lord, that we would capture and we would hold on to the truth that's found in here. Lord, that we would allow your word to penetrate through the hardness of our heart, Lord, that we would recognize just how much you love us. And so we ask today, Lord, that you speak to us intimately, that you help us to understand the crucial part that we play in this particular passage of abiding in you. It's a choice. So help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Again, the the, the principle that Jesus is teaching about is abiding in him. And if you have ever seen a a vine, if you've ever seen a, a grapevine or something like that, then you know that grapevines are put up on a trellis. Do you know why they're put on a trellis? Because they have to grow vertically in order to be fruitful. And I think it's an interesting picture because in order for us to be fruitful in our lives, we have to grow vertically. We have to be focused on things above and not things on the earth. If we go horizontal in our life, we become fruitless people. And and it's such a beautiful picture because you have the vine which is, by the way, is producing the fruit in the branches of of the vine. Um, But but it's also very interesting, the picture of the branches on the vine, because what do they do? They don't go out on their own. They intertwine themselves together. So the branches intertwine themselves uh, with other branches, and it becomes a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. The church is, is not to be isolated. We're not to be a single branch out. It's not like a tree. It's, it's, a, it's a grapevine. It is intertwined. Every single branch is intertwined with another, and it all comes back to the vine. And the vine becomes the source of everything. And, and what, what can happen to a, a grapevine is if, that, if the vine gets off track and it misses 
its ability to intertwine with the rest of the branches, it will lay on the ground and that, that branch will become completely fruitless because it can't get the sun. And what, what the beautiful picture that we have here is the father who is the vine dresser, he is, he is in control of the vineyard. And the, the father takes care of the vine and he pours into the vine because he loves the vine who is his son. But at the same token, he also cares for the branches. And we'll see that in a minute. But, but what the vine dresser will do in a vineyard when he sees that a, a branch is laying on the ground is he will take that, that, that branch and he will lift it up and he will bring it back to the trellis because if it doesn't have the exposure to the sun, S-O-N, then he, it can't bear fruit. And, and what a picture we have here. Jesus begins here by revealing, uh, you know, he, who he is, his true identity, and who the true identity of his father is. Now, I've entitled this message, The Blessings of Abiding, because as we move through the passage, there are going to be um, nine different blessings that we gain from abiding in Christ. And so, if you want to be blessed, then you need to abide, is the idea. If you want to be blessed in your life, if you want to um, really, you know, be exposed to all the goodness that God has for your life, then you have to abide in Christ. You can't do it any other way. There is no other uh, avenue. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. The singular, you know, there is no other besides him. And so it's a great picture. But here we find Jesus begin by uh, starting out with revealing his identity. He says, I am the true vine. Now, this is the seventh and final I am statement in the book of John. And this, if you haven't been with us, you don't understand what that means. That means that what Jesus is declaring here is that he is God. The, the phrase, I am, it's a title. It's the title that God used in Exodus chapter 2 to Moses to say that I am, you know, when he said, who should I say sent me when God was sending Moses to, to Egypt? And he said, tell them I am sent you. And I am is, the, is a title for God. It's his name. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. What he is saying is that he is God. Not only that, but he's also saying that he is the true vine, revealing his identity to his disciples. That should mean something to them. That should mean that he is Messiah to them. You see, in Israel, they were, the, the country itself, the people were referred to as God's vine at one point, but not the true vine. They were a picture, a symbol of something to come. As you can see, they were a, there was a foreshadowing there as you see in much of the Old Testament, all pointing to Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of all of these. And so he is the true vine. Israel is a vine, but not the true vine. Psalm 80 verse 8 says, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. Hosea 10.1 says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. Israel, as the vine, was, its sole purpose was to point to the true vine. Their entire existence was meant, you can read it in the Old Testament, they were meant to be a light, and they were meant to point to the true vine. The true vine is Jesus Christ. They were meant to point to the Messiah. What happened with Israel is that they began to point to themselves as the true vine. We are the way. We are the truth. We are the life. It became about religion and not about relationship. Now, God always intended for us to be in relationship with him. It was never about religion. And man continually wants to make it about rules and regulations. All of those are meant to point us to the Messiah, the true vine, Jesus Christ. 
that we need him. And so what happened was the, the vine, Jesus, uh, you know, God said in Isaiah chapter 5, he, t- he, he told them, Israel, the, the nation, that they were to yield grapes as a vine. They were to yield grapes. But it goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 5 that because of their disobedience to the Lord, that they yielded wild grapes. They weren't yielding the type of fruit that God wanted them to yield. They were yielding a wild fruit that was basically a religious fruit that was opposite of really what God wanted for them. And so what God says to the nation of Israel in Isaiah 5, verse 5 through 7, he says, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. It will be broken down. It's, I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. The buyers and buyers and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of the hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant are peasant, a pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. They were not what they were supposed to be. And I'm afraid that that is the case today. In our church that we call collectively the church, there are so many that are meant to bear good grapes, but they are wild grapes because they're not in the vine. They're of a whole other set of vine. They, they are not in real relationship with Jesus Christ. They are in religion. They are focused on religion. It's about, you know, it's about works. It's about doing certain things in order to be right with God. God never intended us to be like that. He intended for us to be in relationship. God is very serious about his vineyard. Do you see that? Like he is so serious that he says, uh, hey, I'm not going to allow my vineyard become plagued with fake, fake grapes. You know, God isn't into fake fruit. You know, some of you guys have the fake fruit basket on your, you know, thing, and you're like, you want to go grab it, and you're like, that looks so, wait a second, that's not real. You fooled me, you know, the, the idea, you can fool me all day long, you can fool the person sitting next to you, but you can't fool God. He knows whether you are plastic, whether you are wax, or whether you are real. And so the idea that he's saying here is that, you know, if you're not real, he's going to expose you because he loves you. You know, see, God, when he does what he does in our life, you know, we, we think like, well, God, why wouldn't you just save me from all these things that, that create pain in my life? Well, off, oftentimes it's God speaking through those things. It's him revealing himself through those things. And sometimes he's revealing things in us. And, and that's what he does here to Israel. He didn't abandon Israel. He didn't give up on Israel. He, um, he didn't completely devour them. He chastised them. And he will deal with them in the last period, which is known as the tribulation period. For seven years, he will focus on Israel, and he will tell them, hey, you got to come back. And they will eventually, their, many of their eyes will be opened, and they will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because God loves them, and that's his work, salvation. His work is redemption. That's what he does. And, and he cares about these people. But they are not being who they're called to be. So Jesus reveals himself. He says, listen, I know there is a vine here today but it is not the true vine. I am the true vine. So we have to stop looking at Israel as being the way, the truth, and the life because they are not. We have to look to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. Not only that, but he goes on to reveal the identity of his father as the vine, dre- the vine dresser. He is the master of the vineyard. The father cares for the vine and the branches. 
He is responsible for the overall health of everything that is in there. Jesus said, I can do nothing except for what the Father told me to do. I did everything that my Father told me to do. That is because as the vine dresser, he cared for the vine first. If the Father didn't care for the vine, there would be no branches. Because the Father loves the Son, because the Son loves us, we have this beautiful vineyard called the church that yields all kinds of crazy awesome fruit. But, but if we are outside of this picture, then we cannot do what God is calling us to do. We need, the Father is at work in the vineyard today. He's trying to reveal the wild grapes. And, the, and, and by the way, that's why Jesus said, don't you try and do that. Don't, you, you, you as a person in the church are not called to go and tear the tears out from the wheat. Why? Because they look identical and you can't tell the difference. But God knows. And so that's God's business. He tears, he, he pulls out the tears from the wheat. We have to let him do that work. Only he knows those things. Listen, you may peek it into periods of my life and go, dude, I don't think that guy's saved. And I might do the same in your life as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're saved not by what we do, but by who we know. And it's not a works of anything that I've done in the first place. And so I'm not kept in my salvation by anything that I do. I'm kept in my salvation by what Jesus did for me. And so we can rest in that. Now, we come to the first blessing here. The blessing of abiding is, we find here, is bearing much fruit. Look at verse 2. Every, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, he tells them, because of the word that I've spoken to you. He's telling his disciples, you are saved. You've been cleansed. You've been washed because of the word that I've told you. Believe upon me and you will be saved. That's what he, he got done telling them. That's what he's saying. He goes on here. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches that are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now, J.C. Ryle, I, I think, I, I can't say it any clearer than what he said, so I'll just read what he said. He said, uh, regarding verse 2 here, which is a, an incredible, it's, it's a verse that's been twisted and turned and, and it's gotten Christians all upside down and, and whether or not, you know, is there eternal security? Am I saved? You know, am I back and forth in and out of salvation? J.C. Rouse said, perhaps no sentence in this parable is more perverted and rested and misapplied than this. Many assert that it teaches that a man may be a, true, a real true branch of the vine, a member of Christ, and yet lose all his grace and be finally cast away. In short, the sentence is the favorite weapon of the Arminians and all who maintain an inseparable connection between grace and baptism and of all who deny the perseverance of, in faith of believers. The plain truth is that this text is precisely that part of the parable which will not admit of a literal interpretation. If the expression taketh away cannot be interpreted literally, we must beware of interpreting literally the expression branch in me. As the one phrase is figurative, so also is the other. In short, it cannot be shown that a branch in me must mean a believer in me. It means nothing more than a professing member of my church, a man joined in the company of my people, but not joined to me. I think that is so, I think that explanation is so clear. Now, 
that's great that he said that, but what does the Bible say? Because that's really what matters. What does the Bible say about this matter of salvation and how we are saved and how we can be sure that we are in Christ and that we transition into eternity with him? How, how can we be sure? Well, I mean, the Bible gives us so many different scriptures that relate to this. Romans chapter 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the idea is that Jesus took your condemnation on the cross. Now, if Jesus took your condemnation, then how can God condemn you when he's already paid for what you've done? That doesn't make any sense. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the idea is that we are, we are saved through what Jesus has done, and if we're in him, there's no condemnation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So here we have a, a good passage there. Furthermore, Jesus uh, said, to him, said himself in John chapter 10, verse 28. John 10 is such a beautiful picture of him talking about how his sheep know his voice and all this stuff. And he comes to this, 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 this place in John 10, 28, where he says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, who holds your salvation according to that verse? You? No, Jesus does. It's his hand that you, you can't even snatch your salvation out of his hand, it says. No one can because it's in his hand. The idea here is that we are given, we didn't, have any, we didn't earn it, we were given by grace eternal life because of belief in Christ. And so when we believe upon him and then we receive him into our life, crowning him Lord of our life, we're saved. Simply that. And this passage then can't mean what some try to make it mean because, there are, because it would contradict so many other passages. And there's more that I could go on to. The idea of, you know, the interpretation of what it means to be in him here. He says those, um, you know, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Well, there, there, there's a general context to the idea of being in him, like a disciple. A disciple means learner. Doesn't necessarily mean follower, but it means learner. That's the original language. Now, Jesus had a lot of followers. He had a lot of disciples, but some of them weren't real. Some of them weren't sold out to Jesus. And in fact, we have the, the, the it's so interesting that this passage is John 6, 6, 6. It's so interesting that it is because here we find where Jesus just got done saying, if you will not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And then th he says, many of his disciples, not the 12, but many of those who were following him, who were fat infatuated with him, it says that they, they, what does it say? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What does that mean? They walked away from Christ. They were never in true relationship with him. How do we know that? Because the Bible says so. 1 John 2.19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. It is so clear when you put it together with all of Scripture but you can see how if you isolate a verse out of the Bible and you just quote it to somebody, then you can make a case for it. 
And so what Jesus is not saying is that you can lose your salvation at all. Now, there are two different ideas of what he is saying here, which I think is interesting. One of them is obviously that, you know, these are not people that aren't real believers, that they are unregenerated people that were following, you know, and they, they were in the church, but they were never converted. They were never, they never came to, to the place where they crowned Jesus the Lord of their life. That is one interpretation. There is another interpretation, which, which I think either one, they both work. Maybe it's both. I don't know. But, but here's interesting because the word taken away in the Greek, that word also can mean to lift up. It's the same Greek word, but, you know, it can mean to take away or it can mean to lift up. Now, remember what I said earlier in the passage about a vine and what happens when that branch goes down on the ground and what does the vine dresser do? He comes and lifts up that branch and he puts it back on the trellis, exposes it to sun so that it could become fruitful. Very possibly may mean here what Jesus is saying is that the father, the vine dresser, when he sees a branch that has gone astray and it's laying on the ground and it's downtrodden, which many of us are at times in our lives, that he would come and lift us up that we might be exposed to the sun so that we can bear fruit. And it could be that as well. I mean, it very, could, very well could be both. What the Father is, what Jesus is not saying is that you can lose your salvation. But he goes on here, and the main point of the passage is that if you abide in him, that you will bear much fruit. That is really what he's trying to get to. He told them, you're clean already. You've been washed. He's speaking to his disciples. Don't forget to always consider who he's talking to. What is the historical meaning? What is he getting to? Who is he talking to? You have to ask yourself these questions when you're reading scripture. Put it in context. He's talking to his disciples. He says, you're clean. Some aren't. But you're clean. You are attached to the vine, and you must remain in the vine. What he is saying is it's very possible to be a Christian and to isolate yourself from the vine to be redeemed forever, but to be fruitless here. And what what he is saying, and maybe that's why that word taken away means to lift up. The Father would would maybe just lift you up and, and maybe just even take you home if you're fruitless here. You know, the idea of 1 Corinthians 5.5 5, where it says, deliver to one such as Satan for the destruction of the flesh that they might be eternally redeemed. You know, I don't know, but, but here's the reality. Jesus wants us to bear fruit and he tells us in this passage that it is impossible for us to do so outside of him. It's completely impossible. Have you ever um, taken a branch, and you've cut it off from, some, from the, the source, a tree, a, a vine, whatever it is, and, and you lay it on the ground, and maybe you're waiting for the trash to come, and it's a couple days, and you have those branches there, and you go out there the first day, and it's like, oh, it's still green. There's still leaves on it, you know, and all it's, look, it can bend and all that kind of stuff. Your kids are making bow and arrows out of it and all. But if you leave it there for a couple days, what starts to happen? It starts to wither away. The leaves start to turn brown. It starts to die. The moment you separated the branch from the source, it starts to die. The moment you walk outside of abiding in Christ, you start to die. Not necessarily spiritually. You're not going to be separated from God for all of eternity, but you start to die inside like there is no way that you can bear any fruit in your life. And that's why it's so, so crucial that you stay connected to the branches intertwined with one another and ultimately abiding in Christ. Because we need each other. We need Christ. We need to abide in Him. Now, um, you know, this idea of abiding, I don't think I 
I missed it in my intro, but here's what it means to make Jesus the center of your life. Now, oh, you can say here this morning, oh, I've done that. Really? Have you? Let me ask you, does your, does your schedule revolve around what you want to do or around what Jesus wants you to do? Answer that question to yourself. Are you more concerned about what, what pleases your flesh than does what pleases your spirit? Watch where you keep your time. You can easily tell if you're abiding in Christ and if you're not. And I can tell you that we are inconsistent with it, all of us. And so, so we need to make it a, a very focused effort to abide in him, to remain in him. That's what that word means, to remain in him. Because if you don't, you cannot bear fruit. You will die. You will wither away. I've seen it over and over and over again of Christians that come in, and, and I hate to say it, but they start getting a relationship with somebody. You know, I'm not anti-relationship because we need procreation and all, but listen, when you get into a relationship with somebody and then what ends up happening is you start focusing on them more than you do Jesus, and what ends up happening is they become the center of your world, so everything becomes revolves around them. It's like, oh, what are they doing? I got to, you know, get with them. I got to do this, and then all of a sudden you've forsaken your time with the Lord. He's not the center of your life anymore. He may be a portion of your life, he might be a part of your life, but he is not the center. To abide in Christ means he is the center. Everything that you do revolves around him. And that's what it means. Are you abiding? Is what Jesus, you know, is, is he the center of everything that you do? If not, it's a simple transition back. Lord, help me to make you the center. Help me to, to know how to schedule, you know, how you would have my schedule to be, Lord. And it's not that you have to change what you're doing. You have to change the, maybe the, the, the focus of what you're doing. Maybe the focus needs to be changed a little bit. You know, I'm not saying quit your job and, you know, whatever, go on the street. If the Lord tells you to do that, do it. But um, ultimately, he has to be the center. Now, what kind of fruit is he talking about here? We will bear much fruit. Not a little fruit, but much fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, obviously, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5.22 Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You'll yield those fruits for sure. But it's more than that. It's also the fruits of repentance, worthy of repentance. The fruits worthy of repentance. Matthew 3.8, Jesus said that. What is he talking about? The fruits worthy of repentance. What he is saying is that when you legitimately repent, there'll be fruit from it. You know, the fruit of repentance is what? Change. You can write that down. It's free. Doesn't cost you anything today. The fruit of repentance is change. The fruit of repentance is change. Not only that, but you'll see the fruit of righteousness in your life. Philippians 1.11. And you will also, which I think kind of leads into Romans 6.22, which is the fruit that leads to sanctification. Listen, are, is there fruit in your life today? Are the fruits of the Spirit, you know, in you? Are they coming out of you? Are they oozing out of you? Is love, you know, coming out of you? Joy, peace, patience, all those things. And then at the end of the day, are you seeing the rest of these in your life? This is an exhaustive list, by the way. These are a few things. But when you abide in Christ, you yield much fruit. If you remove yourself from Christ, you will be withered up and barren. And, and he goes on here and he says, you know, the father of the vine dresser, when he sees a barren branch that's not going to produce fruit, he just cuts it off, and he removes it, and he throws it into a fire. He burns it. Obviously, that can mean somebody that's not, not regenerated, that is an unbeliever, 
that, um, you know, he, that ends up perishing into eternity in hell because they have rejected relationship with Christ. That's one interpretation. It also could mean, as I talked about earlier, a believer who has become fruitless and the Father just cuts them off from this world and transitions them into heaven because they're no earthly good anymore. And, you know, you think like, well, how good would that be? Well, you tell me. How good is it for you to misrepresent God into the world? We see a lot of that. I'm surprised that there's many Christians left, to be honest with you, because if I were God, I'd see it like, nope, not, not that, no, no, we're taking that one out too. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think there'd be any, anybody left to be like, uh-oh, good thing I'm not God. One thing that I think is important that you understand is that when you are abiding in Christ, that doesn't mean you'll be pain-free. Because what Jesus said here is, those who abide the Father prunes that they might bear more fruit. The idea you know is when you, when you see a branch that's, that's doing well, if you see a flower, you see bushes or whatever, you cut them back so that they can grow more. Because if you don't, you'll hinder the growth of whatever it is, the, the plant, that, the, the bush, the tree, whatever it is that you're trying to see grow. And so the father lovingly comes in. How many of you have ever seen a gardener just come in and just schwack stuff off with no real care about anything? There are some that do that, but I think when the father prunes, he's very careful about how he does it because he cares for you. He loves you. He's going to prune you. It's going to be painful, but he's doing it in a caring manner, in a loving manner because he loves you and he cares about you, and he will do that in your life. I feel, you know... And sometimes it's just through circumstances you're having some pruning going on in your life. And I know that through this process of, you know, dealing with the things that we've been dealing with in our lives, my wife and I are going through some pruning. And it's been a good thing in a lot of ways. We've learned a lot from the Lord. You know, and, and oftentimes you can't get the education that God is trying to give you any other way than through a little pain. But it's worth it. It's worth the pain. He goes on, secondly, those who abide will cultivate an effective prayer life. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Whatever, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is much the same as what Jesus just got done saying in chapter 14, except for he adds the clause, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask and it will be given to you. He said that already, but now he's saying if you abide in me. You know, this is the clause. This is the idea. If you're living in me, if you're remaining in me, your, your prayer life is going to be so effective because you're not going to out, ask outside of God's will because you're abiding in Christ. You care about what he wants, not what you want. That's why in James 5.16 it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Why? Because a righteous person is abiding in Christ. Remember the fruit of what? Righteousness, Philippians 1.11. That's a fruit of abiding in Christ. When you're abiding in Christ, then... You have the, then you have the capacity to get beyond yourself and start asking legitimately for God's will in your life. Lord, whatever you want, here's the situation in my life. Lord, give me spiritual insight that I, can, that I can ask in a way that isn't amiss, that I can ask you things, you know, to do certain things in these situations for your glory, not for my gain, but for your glory. You see, when you start to abide in Christ, it becomes more about what he wants in your life than what you want in your life. The crazy thing is what he wants in your life is better than what you want in your life. But we want what we want in our life. 
because it's instantaneous. It, it will appeal to the flesh immediately, and, and that's oftentimes where we live in that moment by moment, you know, pleasure, comfort, and peace. But the Lord says, just be with me, and I will sustain you forever that way, but you have to abide in me. God is asking us to, to, be, to move away from a humanistic mindset where we are all about us and where we become all about him. It's all about the Lord. It's not about us. Listen, at the end of the day, your, your goal in life, every moment, every day that you wake up, every moment that you live, you should say, Lord, how can I bring you glory? How can I bring you glory in this moment? How can I bring you more glory, Lord? Not how can I be more, more um, you know, how can I be more this or I be more that? Lord, how can, how can ultimately you be glorified in my life? That's really the, the goal of our lives. That's why we were created, to bring glory to God. And as you abide in Christ, you will do that. Now, I'm not going to move any further because we're going to take communion here in a second, but, but here's the deal. It, this is absolutely vital to the Christian life, to abide. You know, Jesus, he is the source of everything, and the nutrients that he provides through his spirit are beyond any, any you know, physical outward thing that you could do. When I say that, I mean even good things. I'm talking about memorizing Scripture. It's great that you know Scripture, and you should, because it is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, but, and it will keep you, Psalm 119 says, from sin, but here's the deal. If you're only doing it intellectually, and you're doing it on an external manner, and Christ isn't providing the power of the Spirit of God to infuse the, the Scripture that you're learning, I'm not going to say it's pointless, because the Bible says that, that, there, that it never returns void, but you're missing the point. You're missing the point. If you're doing things externally and you're saying, look at me abide, look at me abide, I'm, I pray a thousand prayers and I, and I lay hands on people and I anoint people and I do all this stuff and I know all this scripture and I know all this kind of stuff, We're, what we do in the Christian world, right? And we, we kind of wear our badge on our shirt of, you know, who I am in Christ and all. And, and if, if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, then the way we look at each other is, wow, you look identical to me. Because we look like Jesus. You know, it's not, you know, it's not external. Now, although every branch is different, when the Father sees you, He sees His Son. That we would see each other that way and not look down on somebody or look, you know, think that we are more lofty than, than others. And I'm not talking about within this context because it's easy to do that here. I'm talking about when people don't agree with you theologically. I'm talking about when people have, people are, you know, you're just like, well, they're just way off, you know. Do they believe that Jesus Christ is the, the way, the truth, and the life? Are they in him? Then maybe we should find a way to get beyond what bothers me about what they believe and just love them where they are. And I will tell you that I'm learning this in my own life too. It's easy to love people that love you back it's easy to love people that have the same mindset you do, but when they don't, now it becomes personal and people's feelings get hurt. But listen, if it's all about Christ, how can that happen? Because we're a body. We're his body. And so, yeah, people aren't going to agree with you totally. But if you abide in him, you're going to be, and that's part of the fruits that we'll talk about next week is 
that is part of it, is being able to love the way that Christ loves. You know, to, to experience God's love more in my life so that I can love people more the way He loves them. And so I just want to um, just encourage you this morning that if your life, if you're wondering today why your life is the way that it is, and you're 100% confident, like, you, like I should explain that more, when, when if, you're out, if you're feeling like you're distant from God, if you feel like, you know, um, if you're so self-focused on your, in your circumstances and you're, you're having a pity party with yourself, and, you know, and you're wondering why God isn't doing more for you and all this kind of stuff, then I, I think maybe this message is for you. Because what God wants to tell you is, you need to abide in me. If you're truly in me, then you need to come back and rest in me and let me do whatever I want to do. It's almost like the throwing up of the hands, not as in a, I'm, I'm fed up, but as in I'm careless, Lord, because I'm in your hands. And that's the idea. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, Lord, I don't understand. The, the difficulties that I face are just eating me alive. You know, the circumstances that I'm in right now, I don't know how to get out of. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeking. I, I need more, Lord. I need, I need to see you more. Maybe you feel like he's distant from you. Maybe you don't feel like he loves you. And you're saying, you're asking him to reveal himself to you. And, and you're saying, I don't hear you at all. Well, maybe because you're not abiding in him. Maybe you're not resting in him. You're, you, again, it's you trying to do it. Remember, you're a branch that's attached to the vine, and the vine is what provides what you need. And so if you're here this morning and the Lord is speaking to you, listen, it's a, it's a decision in your mind to say, Lord, I am going to stop fretting, stop worrying, trying to stop trying to figure it all out, and I'm just going to live in what you provide. I'm just going to be content with where you have me. And I'm going to grow, and I'm going to let you shape me and do whatever you want. I'm, I'm going to stop trying to do and, and just start trying to allow you to shape me however you want and just be the clay that he wants you to be. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for, for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And, Lord, we did, I didn't get through nearly as much as I wanted to, Lord. But you know. You, we got through what you wanted. As we just said, we're simple clay. Lord, we ask this morning for every person in this room, Lord, that, that if there are those here this morning that don't have a relationship with you, that you, you, you are inviting them in this morning to have intimate relationship with you, Father. You're saying, I, I, I sent my true vine into the world because I'm the vine dresser. I care about the vineyard. And he cares about every one of us in this place this morning. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And if that's you, you just cry out to him this morning and you say, Lord, I confess my sin to you, Lord. I have lived apart from you and I want to be redeemed this morning. I want to be saved. I am turning away from my life and I'm turning to you today, God. I am ready to believe and receive upon your son who died for me and who rose again from the dead for me. And I want to receive him now, Lord. Just come into my life and attach me to the vine that will produce the fruit that I need in my life. I'm tired, Lord. 
I'm tired of putting plastic grapes on my branch, Lord. I'm tired of putting wax fruit on my branch. Would you bring real fruit in my life this morning? I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And the, and the Word of God says that if, when you do that, that all of heaven rejoices. And so if that's you this morning, praise the Lord. For the rest of us this morning, God, we're asking that you help us, even those who are abiding, that you help us to abide more in you. We can always grow more in this, Lord. And this morning, as it's a perfect time for us to speak about this because we are going to remember what Jesus did for us, that he abided in the Father for everything. And then he laid his life down for us that we could abide in him. And as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that he was pinned to the tree, that his blood was shed for us, that he died and then he was laid into a grave and he laid there lifeless. Spirit went on, but he, he, his body lay there lifeless for a few days and on the third day he rose again from the dead, declaring to us that his sacrifice was sufficient. And he calls us to live in that kind of a life, a sacrificial life that would lay down our life at any moment for Christ, because he's the center, and that's how we abide in him. And so we're asking you by your spirit right now, Lord, to just come. Lord, help us to get beyond ourselves, Lord, to, to die to our flesh today. Lord, to abide in Christ, to, to make you the center of everything, Lord. There is not much time left. We know the world is just destroying itself around us, Lord, and we know that time is short. And so help us right now to become the light of the world if we haven't been, Lord, and let us shine brightly for you. So fill us with your spirit, Lord, and as we partake of communion this morning, God, that you remind us to be sacrificial in all that we do as Jesus was for us, even if it means laying down our own lives, Lord. So we love you, God. We thank you. We praise you. And we ask you to continue to move in this place this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening. And we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.